Calista Jarrett is the owner of the Dairy Isle, a pickup restaurant in Greenfield, Missouri, where they do the basics right plus more. Before the Dairy Isle, Calista was a props master for Blue Man Groove in Las Vegas, as well as the props master for the national tours of Cats, Fiddler on the Roof, as well as the Asia tour of Sound of Music. She is part of the now famous Mizzou crew and proud of it. There will be others. And I'm so glad that uh, she trusts me enough to have this conversation with me. Everybody around her calls her mama. But this is JLP number 28 with Clista Jarrett. And he interviewed me and gave me the... The whole, this is how you need to interview to get this job kind of situation. All right. And so I got the job. So I moved to Las Vegas. And I worked for the Union for five years. And I was the production props or production props master for the Blue Man National Tour. Okay. The whole tour in my garage at one point. Yeah, the whole tour in your garage. I built the whole tour in my garage. Every prop that was in the show was built in my garage in Las Vegas. Wow. And uh, I ran the props department at the Venetian for five years before I went back to touring. And when I went back to touring, I went to the one weekers and I went back and I did like production props for four different shows. Um, Wizard of Oz was one of them that came over from the West end and mm-hmm. then sat down in Toronto and I left it there for a year. came back a year later and picked it up again and took it out on the road. And like, I, I became the person that could do it cheap, but do it right. Okay. I kept, I kept getting, well, a lot lower than my competitors. Okay. Because my competitors are working out of New York city at 50th and 8th and they're working out of Jersey and okay. working out of Toronto. I'm working out of a barn in the middle of Missouri and I don't have any employees and I don't have any overhead. And so I can do it at pretty much cost plus my fee. So it's a huge drop for them. And I know it is because I've been production props on the shows that other people have built for them. And I know how much we pay for that. So I know that I'm getting the jobs because I'm cheap, but I also know that I'm getting the jobs because I do it right. But there's there's like a rule in 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 touring theater. You can either be really good at your job, okay, and be an asshole, or you can be really really nice and not be an asshole. Well, I'm an asshole most of the time, um, and I know that about myself. Mm-hmm. My first job interview with Troika. My production manager got through the whole spiel and was like, so I've spoken with a couple of your references and uh, it seems like you maybe have an abrasive personality. And I thought, is that a problem? <laughs> I mean, you told me the story. <laughs> well, I am. Like, if you don't like that, you're not going to like me. Mm-hmm. And all over this country, there are people who don't like me. There are people who love me. There are people who hate me. That's just the way it goes. I I know this about myself, but I always take pride in what I do. And I always work my butt off to get it to where it needs to be. And I won't stop until it's right. And that's been since day one. 
when I when I finished the King and I tour, there was a, a guy. We call him Five. Okay. You call him Five? Is that five. because? As the story goes, he was the fifth technical director on the show in less than six weeks, and so they were <laughs> just going to give him numbers. Just remembering his name. That's funny. So, so he's been five forever. But we were loading up the show, and we were putting it in storage, and there was this really heavy-duty Marley that was really important to the show because it was this red Marley. And we were going to put it in storage. So as we were rolling it up, I had a rag and I was wiping the backside of the Marley as it was rolled up so that it wouldn't have anything in it while it was sitting in storage. And he walked up to me and he goes, and that's why I'm going to hire you again. So my attention to detail is very much appreciated. My attention to all of the details is very much appreciated, which is why me being production props master on cats is more than me just being the props person. I, I knew how the tire needed to work. I knew why the tire needed to work this way. I knew how this thing needed to go mm-hmm. into the truck. I knew, I know all of the details because I feel like it's part of my job as the road crew to know every aspect of my show. Because if something goes wrong, it's on us. Right. You know, if one of my guys goes down, I got to know how to pick up his wrench. You know, not a lot of people look at it that way. Especially people on the Disney level. Don't. On a Disney level, you said? Yeah. They don't look at it that way. And that skill set's not appreciated by that level. So I don't need to ever work for them again. <laughs> yeah, that was not good. <laughs> oh, no. No, not good at all. <laughs> Let's just say I went out with a bang, making more money than I'd ever made, didn't care. I hated every minute of it. I hated every minute of it. That's got to be difficult. Yeah, but there's been two times in my life that I've realized that I've set my artistic integrity aside for money and insurance. And I was miserable. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just not going to do that anymore. But the insurance was great because the insurance is when I finally figured out, well, I was 41 when we figured it out. So 23 years later, after my first symptom, we figured out that I was born without a lower circulatory system. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. I was like, what? Uh, So I have learned since this happened a lot of things about how the vascular system works. But there's there's two parts. There's the... There's the vena cava, and you have an inferior, which is your top part, and your superior, okay. which is your bottom part. I don't have the bottom one. Don't have it. Don't have it. So the body will naturally create pathways that will allow blood to flow, but over time, they're just taking on too much of a load. And so I didn't know this, I and I'd had like – Vein mappings done. I've had so many ultrasounds. You'd think I'd had nine kids. Uh, like, I've had so many things go wrong. I'm probably up to like 13 or 14 diagnosed blood clots. And I don't even know how many were diagnosed. Um, but it wasn't until I found a cardiovascular surgeon mm-hmm. who was a specialist in the 
venous side. Okay. Because they're all specialists in the arterial side. And they're there for heart attacks. They're there for everything else. They're not there for veins. It took this guy three visits. After three visits, we knew what was wrong. And he assigned me this machine, which looks like a giant Michelin man suit, that pushes the fluid back up into my torso and my torso processes it out of the body. And it was that simple. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? So that's all it had. So number, okay, so this is a lot of fucking information. And, that yeah. just, and, and that's how I felt too. I was like, that's just, that somehow that just doesn't make, so I just have this image now of you having like no veins or anything else. Okay, after well, the, veins there. the veins are there, but the deep veins are not. Okay. So the deep vein system, which is what moves the blood around through the system back to the hearts and the lungs to get it reoxygenated. Okay. There from like the center of my torso down. And so the, the superficial veins have built all these pathways to allow the blood to flow because the body will adapt, mm -hmm. you know, but after a while it couldn't keep yeah, up. After a while it won't keep up. Style, it couldn't keep up with getting on a plane every week. It couldn't keep up with all the things that I was doing to it. Right. And so you end up with all this excess blood and fluid in the bottom of your legs that doesn't have any oxygen in it. And so because it doesn't have any oxygen in it, it starts rotting from the inside out and you end up with ulcers like diabetics get. So Jesus. Yeah. I had, um, at one point I had 12, I had seven on one leg and, and five on the other. Good God. Like one of them was a quarter inch deep. Do you have to, do you have to do, use that suit often? Uh, not now, but don't tell my doctor that. Oh, I use it every day. Um, but I do wear compression stockings every day, uh -huh. grade for, uh, uh, stockings every day. And if I get an ulcer on my leg, it comes in, it's like a little pinhead. Um, I'll start using it. And if I see that there's any, any sign of swelling or edema, I'll start using it because that's what it's there for. It's there to keep me from getting worse. Right. And, um, but you no, know, now that I'm not flying every Monday, now that I'm not loading in for three days straight and mm -hmm. out for two days. It, it's not nearly as bad, but like when I got diagnosed, I had been on um, Aladdin in San Francisco and LA. And, and I don't know if the normal people know this, but there's a, an extremely high level of bacterial infections in the West coast, especially in SoCal. Um, like it's just in the air. It's everywhere. It's it's a breeding form farm for any type of bacterial. Well, Southern California is about to fall off the face of the earth. Yeah, and and I really feel bad. If it's, it's yeah, it's about to. I shouldn't say that because I have uh, friends there, but uh, I got friends there too. I got we got friends in common there, and it's it, yeah. it's it's a no that that place has to stop. I can't do it, and it's one of the reasons I moved back to the middle of nowhere because I can't look at people shooting up. In the middle yeah. of the street and right in front of your house. Like I, I literally had to tell someone to move their crack pipe out of my face while I was coming up from the subway in San Francisco. I was like, dude, seriously? Crack pipe out of my face, kicking needles out of the way, stepping over human feces. Ooh. Yeah, no, that's all of that. It's the cesspool of 
disease. And I ended up with a blood um, infection. Okay. When I was at the very end of Aladdin, I ended up with a blood infection that was so bad, I couldn't fly home. Oh. I had to have my cousin bring me my car. And he brought me my car to LA. And then a month and a half later, when it was time for me to drive home, I couldn't even drive myself home. I had to call my ex-husband. Can you come drive me across the United States? Oh. Yeah. So that was fun. That must have been some fun conversation in that damn car. Uh, well, as it turns out, I was, I was trying to rekindle that marriage. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I married him when I was really young because we hadn't, you know, I was 26 and I hadn't had any babies yet. And so we better get, better get hitched and get some things going on. <laughs> so I married this big dumb redneck from Hayes, Kansas, who I met on a load in um, because I'm a sucker for six foot seven bald guys. You know, that's just what I do. Jesus, six, seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just lit up. It's just yeah. <laughs> I didn't know I had a type until the fourth ones. And then oh. yeah, I was like, oh, crap, I'll have a type. Um, but, yeah, I, <laughs> four months into the, the marriage, I was like, oh, you're stupid. Hey! <laughs> I, like, I can't be married to stupid. I can't be married to stupid. I can do it a lot, but not stupid. Really, honestly, like at one point I was like, you know, you'd be a really interesting person to talk to if you ever talked about anything anybody gave a shit about. <laughs> and I realized I was <laughs> But I kind of felt like I didn't give that marriage a chance. And we we had been friends for the, you know, 18 years. And, and um, we were kind of trying to give it a go. Let's see. Have you grown up? Are you not as stupid as you used to be? Um, come find out. No, I'm still sure. Oh. Um, six months later, I was like, "You got to go." Bye. And six months later, what? Didn't didn't you didn't figure that out in the car ride? No, it was really trying. <laughs> really and he helped me a lot. Like he did help me a lot here at the restaurant, and and he helped me do some of the destruction of the restaurant. And yeah. And, um, and, and I was willing to put up with some things, but then there were some things I was not willing to put up with. I can imagine. And yeah. so I finally was like, you know what? Nah. Bye. And then I opened the store like a week later. I was like, bye. I gotta, you gotta go. So we all make those decisions. And now I'm single as fuck. And I love it. Oh, you love it? I do. I, I mean, there's nights that I'd like to cuddle with something other than my seven-pound terrier. But really, I can put him in a crate at the, in the end of the day. and everything. Yeah, you can't put six, seven in a crate. Well, it depends on the crate. Well, it depends on the crate. <laughs> but then, you know, w would you want a man, six, seven, who you could put in a crate? No. Exactly. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not the podcast. That's not the podcast. Talk, talk about whatever you want. That's that's for bars. We can um, talk about. Hey, listen, I'm I'm scared of bars now. So you know, okay. So I was I'm always the designated driver because I stopped drinking. Oh, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Did you really? Yeah. When oh, um, congratulations. 
I made some big decisions when I was about 31 years old. Uh, I was told that I had this condition that isn't real because it's not really what the condition is, but that I was going to have to be on blood thinners for the rest of my life. Okay. And, um, Alcohol didn't help. If you've ever been on blood thinners and, and gotten drunk, it's totally hateful. It's so hateful. Like the hangover is like not worth the three sips that you took the night before. Mm. And um, the medications at the time, which they've gotten much better now, but the medications at the time caused horrible fetal alcohol syndrome problems and different defects and everything. So I quit drinking and I got my tubes tied and uh, made all of those decisions at 31. Wow. Yeah. And so when I made that decision, I was like, well, I'm never going to have kids, so I might as well have a great career, and let's just go for it. You know? mm -hmm. So that's what I did, and I just kept going until this place came up for auction. Okay. And you haven't drank, and you haven't drank since either? No. I, I mean, I got up to a point where I can drink like three quarters of a beer before I'm stupid. Stupid drunk. I can't even smell champagne. Really? Like it, it makes me sick as shit. Um, but yeah, so so because I don't drink, I'm a designated driver. Mm. I'm really good at hanging out at bars and not drinking. There's a lot of people who can't do it. Yeah. I didn't quit drinking because I was an alcoholic. I quit drinking because I didn't like the hangovers. So I can go to a bar and hang out and drink soda all night long and watch people get stupid drunk. I do better at the gay bars than I do at the straight bars. Do you? Is that why we went? That's why we met at the gay bar when when when, when, uh, <laughs> when, when you came back into the thing. <laughs> if I'm at a bar, ninety percent of the time it's a gay bar, and um, I went from being that girl that came along with the gays to being the old dyke at the bar. Like, oh man! I and I, I even I embrace it. I wear my flannel. I don't care. I don't I don't dress up. I walk in, I own the place, like give me my drink, and then they realize I'm not drinking and they love me even more because I'm not a belligerent old bitch at the bar. Uh -huh. And and like it heaven help us all if it's karaoke bar, then I'm friends with everybody there, right? Like that's just the way it is. But the other night, remember me telling you earlier I was I'm a little broke, right? The other night. My cousin and her friends wanted to go drinking in the next town over. Okay. They graduated with their master's degrees. Woohoo! In what? Um, one to be a elementary school principal and one in counseling. So they're both in education. Okay. Their master's degrees from this university. So they wanted to go over there and get drunk. Don't get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> It's a 35-mile drive to this bar. 35-mile? Golly. It's 22 miles to get to the coffee shop around here. Okay, oh. like it is. Yeah. Um, That's like a decision. Oh, yeah. That's like a, no, like it, you got like, to map your fucking day. Yeah. If uh, uh -huh. I, I go around the corner. AeroPress so I can actually have some semblance of espresso. So, you know, but... It's like six o'clock at night. I'm still running the store and I get done with the store here about 7.30. And my cousin shows up, the younger sister of the one that I took. And she's like, has Kara called you yet? <laughs> so she's a lot mildier than I am. Uh-huh. That's and not possible. 
Well, okay, I take that back. Yes. So apparently they were looking for a designated driver. They're like, that Clusters ass over here. She doesn't drink. And nobody wanted to call me and ask me because mm -hmm. they know I work. And so I texted my cousin. I was like, so you need a designated driver? She said, Kara says she's got $200 cash. I was like, I'll be there at eight. I'll be there. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I am not proud. I'm not too proud to say I will take your money. 200 bucks and all the, all the Coke I can have? Cheap. Right. And like the bartender is a cousin, you know, this, that, and the other. And so, but I went into that bar. These are supposed to be the children who are taking care of us when we're in the home, John. Not uh. one of them was wearing a mask. Not one. They were rubbing on each other and holding each other and dancing and drinking and everybody just forgot that COVID-19 existed. And I was like, I just thought. Uh, <laughs> it's just, can I just, can I just, and I literally had to keep moving because I couldn't be around people. And it was freezing outside, but I spent half the night outside because mm -hmm. I couldn't. But when you're the designated driver, you got to keep track of You got to keep track of people. All over the bar. And one of them's trying to earn her T-shirt. It's one of those bars. One of those bars, you get a good T-shirt. Yeah. Um, in the same fashion that you earn your beads at Mardi Gras. Okay. And I'm like, could you put them away? Enough people have seen them. You've earned about six T-shirts now. You don't you don't need to show these off anymore. They're not even that pretty, honey. Stop showing them off. <laughs> like, You've got three kids. Nobody needs to see that. Like, it's amazing how when you get older, like your your like image of what the bar should be changes. <laughs> well, and that was what was happening. The 23-year-olds who had graduated that night, 21 to 23-year-olds who had graduated that night, and the master's program people who had graduated that night, there's 10 years between them, and then there's another 10 years between them and me. And I'm like, looking yeah. around. You've seen this before. You've this. You've you know exactly how it's going to play out. So. <laughs> and there's like, okay, there are two black guys in the whole bar. Uh huh. One of them is dressed in an all black suit with a black bow tie and a Louis Vuitton mask. Ooh. And I can tell he's of some level of like Nigerian descent from his accent. Okay. It is exchange student. He thinks he is God's gift to everything. Mm. There is the guy who is my age, who is watching this 23 year old idiot and talking to me. And he's like, he is making every one of us look bad. And I was like, well, honey, there's only about two of you in here right now. <laughs> <laughs> Who's us? <laughs> I was like, I I think I'm actually maybe part of your um, your percentages there, sweetheart. And he's like, I oh, know these damn kids, and and it was at that moment that I was like, there really aren't any people in here that are of any color, of any color, and it was this moment of like, where have I moved to? What have I done? I am around all of these people who don't give a shit about each other. They don't want to wear a mask and none of them 
have any culture at, at all. It's utopia. Oh. That's what utopia looks like. Is that what utopia looks like? <laughs> I didn't know. It changes every week. Like, it's weird. It was a culture shock moving from, you know, Vegas, New York, LA, San Francisco. Yeah. To Dade County, Missouri. Um, Shit, 22 miles to a coffee shop. 22 miles to a coffee shop. I have a, um, a rainbow flag outside. Uh-huh. I mounted the rainbow flag at the same time that I cut 18 inches off of my hair. Okay. I marked it two weeks. Two weeks before the questions got all the way back to me. Ah. And uh, so now I play a game. We just don't answer the question. We don't. We don't. What do you prefer? Mm, drug free. That's my preference. My my preference is drug free. When you find me one of those, you let me know. <laughs> you know yeah, and, and uh, like somehow, somewhere, some way. I don't know if it has something to do with my degree in theater, if it has something to do with the rainbow flag out front, or if it just has something to do with my personality. Word got around that this is the place to go if you're gay. And, and, and I was like, oh, is this a thing? <laughs> and like, then I found out it's a thing. Like, you what, can't right? go to that guy because um, well, he doesn't employ gays. And you can't work there because, well, they only hire women. And, well, you can't work there because, well, you have tattoos. I'm like, we're doing, we're doing minimum wage fast food here, right? Right? Uh-huh. Really? Not. You know what I need you to do? I need you to know what the difference between ketchup and mustard is. You think you That's can right. do ketchup and mustard? Great. We're, we're set. Right? All that other <laughs> shit, I'm not really. So after, after that all went down, I was like, what what is going on here how did i end up with all these gay kids and what i realized is that this generation doesn't recognize gay straight trans what nothing they're all pansexuals they all have some level of curiosity from one direction to the other and they just I don't even know what that means pansexual yeah all things all things we maybe would have referred to it as bisexual when we were kids um because they're open to both but there's more than two now so it's like it enveloped all of it. All right. Right? Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. So working with teenagers, you have to know this crap, by the way. Um, and so I made a joke one day to one of the sisters, to one of the kids that works for me. And I was like, oh, they all just show up eventually. I feel like I need to post something on the back door that's one of those like safe place logos. Were <laughs> you know, like, maybe at the fire station? So I, like, I got you, girl. I got you. No, she's a lesbian too. I got you, girl. So that door inside. I don't know if you can see it from where we are. I can see. I can see it says place. Yeah, your coat's covering it. Well, I, I'm plugged in because, uh, of course, I worked all day. There we are. Safe place. You made me a rainbow. And it's just, so your so your spot is the spot your spot is the spot for gay kids and panhandlers or whatever they're, they're called or pansexuals pansexuals excuse me I'm I'm old fashioned well so am I but I can't be I I have to deal with these kids <laughs> and and 
one of them one day, I could not figure out how to get a notification off my Instagram account. Uh-huh. It drove me crazy. I had this little red one up there and I was like, where, what is this? And he informed me that his generation was more technologically advanced. All right. I was like, um, I have a four-year degree that says technical on the beginning of it. I said, you're not more technologically advanced because you know how to use Snapchat. (laughs) Snapchat's really important. I said, Snapchat is for dick pics, and we all know it's for dick pics. Stop being full shit. That's right. That's what it started. It started off for dick pics. I was like, no, it's not. I was like, "Mm, my generation is a generation that wrote that code. Trust me. Yep. Dick pics. Yep. So, you know. we got tired of texting dick pics. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like, fuck, I just gotta keep this off my how am I keep this shit like use my phone, but keep it off my phone. So that nobody can see it. I don't want to save this photo. Oh yeah. More technologically advanced because they use Snapchat. And it doesn't work because everybody sees everything. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an interesting life though, all teenagers. Uh I can imagine. I recently hired two adults. Um one is my mother's age and was my mother's best friend growing up. Okay. And then the other is her daughter, who's my age. And then everyone else is under the age of 19. Well, no, I've got two adults. One's 20, one's 22. But for the most part, I've got 16 to 19-year-old kids. Okay. And they're never left this town. Never left the town. They're confused. They don't know. They don't know anything. They have. I have to teach them everything. I've taught one of them how to open a trash bag three times. Open a trash bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how you lick your finger. Okay, yeah, but that's like that's not even a thing. No, no, it's a thing. It's a thing. No. Yeah. It, it really is. Like, it's one thing to teach someone to cook. It's another thing to teach someone how to use a knife. But that's open a, tr- but open a trash bag? Open a trash bag. You have to teach somebody how to open a trash bag? I, I mean, we're talking basic skills. This is a broom. This is a dustpan. Wow. So this teenager never, like, took out the trash? No. No. Wow. They're this video game um, generation where they really, I blame us, the 43 to 35 generation that has had these kids who never made them work, never made them do anything, never made them do anything. Because, well, we don't want them to have to work too old. We want them to have their youths. We want them to have this. No, you ruined them. Now I get to break them. Yeah, and, I, and I've broken a couple. I'm not gonna lie. I, t- I told I told my wife. I said, you know what? No one's gonna break our son. I said we're gonna break it. We're gonna break him. Yeah, we're gonna break him, and then we're gonna present him to the world and say, look, look at all the shit he can do. Yeah, and now, then, go, go ahead, go have at it. <laughs> I wish more parents would, uh, but they don't, and they they end up here. And I have mm-hmm. to, like you got to teach them how to open trash bags. Yeah. And they don't notice things like, okay, I want you to face all the money in the drawer. Mm-hmm. They just look at me like, well, it's all in the drawer. 
Yes, you're right. It's all in the drawer, but it's not facing the right way. That's another big pet peeve of mine. You well, get that in ATM machines now. You get ATM machines where you get money in different directions. Oh, they, they don't even face it at the bank here anymore. It drives me crazy. Oh, I fucking, it. My, my, uh, yeah, it doesn't happen. And that's that's the old school that we are. Uh, here we write everything out on paper tickets. We use an adding machine to add up the tickets. Okay. We hand back cash and we count it back. Ooh, look at you. I'm literally teaching them life skills so that they can go and be a waiter, so that they can go and have a survival job, so that they can have this basic set. And it's not so much that I was taught these things growing up, mm -hmm. but I didn't know I was being taught these things when I was growing up. I was just doing it. Right. They actually have to do it. And it wasn't until like the end of my second season that I, I realized a lot of them view this as just another class in school. They don't view this as a job where they are working in exchange for money. Wow. They think this is just someplace they just show up. And then on Fridays, they get a paycheck for being here. And I'm like, no, that's not how this works. Yeah. And so I'm teaching them the value of a hard day's work. I'm teaching them why they have to do the things that they have to do. And, and, and if it weren't for that aspect of it, I would absolutely lose my mind here. If, it, if I didn't have that reward at the end of the day, knowing that right. I helped out a kid who can then take that skill set. Like, Mr. Trashbag. Mm -hmm. okay. His stepdad and I are friends. And his stepdad said to me at one point, hey, we know, we know. So don't feel bad if you have to fire him. Oh, wow. That's such a... Oh, that's it's kind of a dick. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's such a fucking... Yeah. Like, you just wrote your damn stepchild off just well, like that. But the thing is, the kid's not stupid. He's genius. Well, most kids aren't. He has no common sense. Yeah. But that happens. Yeah. Scholar Bowl all day long. I hired him because he'd passed my math test in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. But he can't make a cherry limeade. Oh, shit, I can't make a cherry limeade. So. You could if it was in writing in front of you and you could read the formula every time. <laughs> Took me about six weeks to learn how to teach that kid. And I actually took the learning experience of learning how to teach that kid and dumbed down some of my other systems. Things that I didn't think I needed to write down. Right. Things that I didn't think I needed to do. Like, well, a large limeade gets this much lime juice. Well, now a large limeade gets six pumps. I found a way to get a pump system in there. You know, um, we kept, I don't know how, I still don't know how he keeps breaking the potato cutter. <laughs> He's a goddamn I'm like, savage. I'm like, what are you doing? You're 90 pounds soaking wet. How are you breaking blades? And why did I find this one in the potatoes? Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you have to keep track of things like that. But, and then I found out there were two loose bolts. I don't operate the thing every day. Mm -hmm. I don't clean it every day. I didn't know these two bolts were loose. 
one day and I took it apart to figure out why it was gone. I was like, why is this so loose? Well, now, okay, we have to teach that you have to tighten loose bolts on equipment. Things that you don't think that you're going to have to teach because, well, you're old and you already know this crap. Yeah. You have to teach it. You have to teach the kids. And when you don't have um, a job force that can mentor them for you, you're the one that does it. You're the one that's the mentoring. You're, you're the mentor. Yeah. You're the mentor for another job force. I think the the biggest example that I had when I first opened, I was trying to explain customer service mm-hmm. and what level of customer service I wanted our people to have. And then I was trying to explain how to make it so that the burger isn't sloppy. Okay. And I said, okay, you guys have been to McDonald's, right? You've been to McDonald's and and you get the burger, it's off to one side and the cheese is on the other and all the pickles are sitting in the middle with some onions on top and the ketchup's running off the side. Well, you don't care because you spent $1.69 on that, tur- on that burger. You eat it anyway, it's McDonald's, it's what you expect. I said, but you go to Five Guys, you get that double cheeseburger with all that stuff and you want it nice and stacked and you want to have the mm. thing and you want that wrapped up in that... And you wanted to have that number one on top of it because you're the only one that ordered that. And you want to have all the fries off to the side. And they stopped me and they said, five guys. Well, that's expensive. We don't eat there. And I realized these kids have never had anything above McDonald's. Wow. They've never experienced quality beyond literal drive through fast food. And that's not what we serve here. We serve quick food. Mm-hmm. That's really well put together. We have brioche rolls. We have um, seasoned, burnt, you know, and and like we have a chicken parmesan sandwich. Well, no one else serves a chicken parmesan sandwich around here. It's one of the reasons we have it. And I had to explain that the marinara sauce goes on the chicken, not on the wrapper. <laughs> you know, like maybe you should coin that, like quick food, like quick. <laughs> Quick food done. Quick food that looks right, or some shit like that. Or like, like we we do. I, I always say we serve quick food, not fast food. Quick food, not fast food. Yeah, um, because we don't. I mean, now that being said, if it takes longer than ten minutes from the time I finish the customer to get their food out the door, I'm having someone's ass. Mm-hmm. But my customers know that they can get their food as fast as they want it if they call it in right. You know. And then the other customers who learn, 10 minutes. If it's 20 minutes, something has gone awry. Well, 10 minutes is the perfect time to wait. 10 minutes is perfect because we cook everything. To, we don't have heat lamps. We don't even have our fries don't have a heat lamp. Like yeah, we, we cook everything to order. To order. Everything is cooked to order. Um, because I feel like you, you deserve that as a person who's eating, mm-hmm. who's spending the money that you worked really hard on making, you're going to give that money to me and I'm going to give you something good in exchange. If I give you crap in exchange, then I haven't done my part of this transaction. So yeah, I go and hand select every piece of produce that we send out of the store. I don't let any of it get brought into me. Um, the, the really, the only things that I have brought into me are things that I have tested, approved, and if it has to be substituted, my rep calls me and she says, okay, listen, I got to do this and this. Can, can you take the substitution? And I'll say, nope, we'll be without it this week if I don't like it. Mm-hmm. 
I hand select my tomatoes. Half of the season, I have a guy who delivers tomatoes farm fresh from me for me. The other half, I have to go select them because I got two boxes of tomatoes from my food supplier, and I was like, these are crap. I won't serve them. But not everyone does that. Not everyone cares to do that. And so these kids have never experienced that. So they don't know. They don't know how to how to live up to my standards. And I'm real mean about it at the, at the beginning, too. <laughs> I really am. Like, we're, we're training a new kid right now. Mm-hmm. And he's friends with my cook. My cook has been working for me for over two years now. And uh, I've made my cook cry. I totally have. We have a rule here. Go cry in the bathroom. <laughs> bathroom. When you're done crying in the bathroom, fix your face and get out here and do your damn job. Right? Ask him, where do we cry? We cry in the bathroom. Okay. Um, last night we were training and the new kid's task was chaos management because the night before it was chaos everywhere. I was like, okay, your job tonight, chaos management. We're not going to be crazy. We're not going to do stupid things up here. Chaos management. Because my front window is like a proscenium arch. Uh-huh. You know, it's all glass, three quarters around. They can see us do everything. And uh, we we perform up there. And, and I want to clean up there. It needs to be nice. And, right. and we need to look like we know what we're doing. Well, when I have a new one up there, we definitely don't know what we're doing. <laughs> what made you decide to buy this place? Oh God, it was on up for auction and I'm an idiot. Like, okay. When I was living in Vegas, I had this beautiful kitchen in my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was running a test kitchen in my kitchen at my house. Okay. Because I was going to come back here and retire and open a bakery as my end of life, whatever. We have a, we have 160 acres here. Like my mother and my stepdad and I, we have 160 160 acres. acres. Yeah. (laughs) So that's where they're going to retire. It's our weekend property. It's where I live right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I knew eventually I would come back to this town because this town is where my family's from. And, I had always wanted to buy something on the square because we're the county seats. We have the square and I wanted to do something there. And so I thought I'm going to open the bakery that hasn't been open now for 10, 15 years. So I started running test kitchen, test kitchen, test kitchen. And it was getting to a point where I was like, you know, this might actually be a really good idea. I'm kind of enjoying this. And um, the, the kitchen that I was working in in Vegas was actually, I was the second owner of that home and the first owner was a professional chef. Oh, okay. It was actually set up really well with a gas cooktop and electric oven and lots and lots of space with marble tops. And so I really had an ideal situation for a test kitchen. And then I had all of the employees at Blue Man as my guinea pigs. And so I was getting good feedback and I was getting good things. And, uh, after Blue Man, I went out on tour and wasn't really happy on tour. And mom comes down here every other weekend or so. And every time she comes down, she goes and washes the car before she heads back to the city because we live on a dirt road. Okay. She passed this place and there was a damn auction sign out front. Well, I'm a props master. <laughs> I'm an auction junkie. <laughs> and I was making that Disney money. So I decided that I would give it a shot. 
And I had been following other properties on the square that were in much worse condition. And they were going for like Mm $10,000, $20,000. I was like, well, so I came down here and I looked at it and I decided I was going to give it a go. I went and spoke with the family. Now this place been open since 1960. Okay. And it was Henry's Dairy Isle before that. And it was built and then handed down to a son and the son and his daughter ran it until he died. Okay. Charles. So when Charles died, uh, the kids couldn't figure out how to run it together. Like they couldn't figure out who was going to own it and who was going to do it and who was going to, you know, how are we going to do this in the estate? So it sat empty for four years, just rotting away. And I was like, you know, it's not on the square, but it is on the highway. And it's, it's actually a really good location and it's a good name, you know, like everybody knows the dairy aisle. So I came in and I looked at all the equipment and I, and I was like, okay, I could, I could do this. I said, yeah, yeah. So let's go to this auction. So the next morning I got up and I went and spoke with the family and I said, listen, I want to reopen the dairy aisle. I'm sick of watching this building rot away. I'm tired of us not having this icon that we had in our town forever. I said, but I'm not going to buy it unless I can have the name. I okay. said, everybody's going to call it anyway. So I want the name. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, care if I use the name, then I'll go ahead and buy it. So they were auctioning off the house, which is like right over there. Okay. And the house didn't sell. So I'm like walking to my car. Oh, they're going to sell the house. I'm going to go get my tea from the car. And all of a sudden there's this wave of people coming back towards the dairy aisle. And I was like, oh, it's time. I don't even have my drink. Okay. It's time to buy the dairy aisle. Okay. So they started the bid at $75,000. 75000 75000 Found out that's what the bank needed. Okay. Well, I wasn't going to buy it for $75,000. I was looking at buying it for like $35,000. And my max was $50,000 with a maybe up to sixty. Like, we had sixty, dollars I'm out. No, not happening. Someone okay. can have it, right? No. Because this was supposed to be a hundred thousand dollar investment, I'd sold my house in Vegas. Right. I had an I had a hundred thousand dollars to invest. I had a good job. I had the money, but I wasn't going to spend it on this property that wasn't. It's not worth it. Right. Okay. So there's one other dude at this auction. We're going up $500 at a time, $500 at a time. And we get to $50,000 and I'm like, we get to 51.5. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't. And I paused long enough that the auctioneer pause the auction and I don't know why he decided to pause the auction but he did and he stepped off to the side and he spoke with the family and at this point I didn't have the winning bid okay I was like I just lost it I didn't have the winning bid and I don't know what he said to that family 
because because they needed seventy five thousand dollars, they had the right to pull it. If it didn't reach seventy five thousand dollars, they right. don't have to sell it. But I think what he said was, "Do you want to continue? We've got a pause. I don't think it's going to get much more than this. Do you mm -hmm. want to continue?" And I'm pretty sure what was said was, "You keep going until she stops," because they didn't want the other guy to buy it. Okay. So, because he was going to get it and make it into something else, like a Sonic. So, for some reason, at $53,000, this guy stopped bidding. And the auctioneer was like, going once, going twice, going. Sold $53,000, and the number is, and I don't know how many auctions you go to, but you have a little placard that has your number. Uh -huh. You show your number when you're set. And I'm like this, I'm standing there and I'm staring at the guy and I can hear the words. And he goes, and the number is, and in my head, I was like, the number's $53,000. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and mom said, my face went full white. There were three people ready to catch me. And I was like, oh, oh, the, the number, 131, the number's 131, sold. And I was like, oh shit, I just bought the barrier. And that was July of 2017. Okay. I worked until February 11th of 2018. My mother and my stepdad took a big chunk of the crap off of this property. And we got carpenters started on different things, including tearing down the garage and resetting it. And it became very clear to me after a while that this was not just a hundred thousand dollar investment. Okay. And when I came back in February, I was all gung ho. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was really sick, you know, and I had the blood infection and all that crap. And so I had to deal with my health. And so March, I tore down the, the, um, walk-in which if you ever get a chance uh -huh. to go to the dairy out page and watch the video of me dropping the walk-in it was brilliant the guy helping me drop the walk-in is the first chair violin player really shouldn't have had tools in his hand really really but he wouldn't have, he wouldn't help so he so um yeah Slowly but surely, I got more and more into it, and I realized that there were termites in that walk-in, and that walk-in had to be torn out. And then I couldn't save this piece of equipment, and I couldn't save that piece of equipment, and there, there was nothing. I couldn't use any of it. Mm. I couldn't use any of it. And it all rotted. It was all full of mildew. It was all dried out. It wasn't working. It was full of crap. It gutted this place down to four walls. I was supposed to open on May 25th, 2018. I didn't open until July 22nd. And when I opened on July 22nd, my fry cook was my 14-year-old nephew. My, <laughs> my cook was his cousin. Um, my cashier was my waitress at the cafe that I had met while I was doing the renovation. My mother and my best friend's uh, sister were my dishwashers. I had I had so much help and so much support. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. I had no clue. 
I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and, and it's opening weekend. And I've got Shelby, who works for me now, uh, still. I had hired him because he needed a job and, and whatever. And I had him and two other guys who were my cooks. And none of us knew how to clean a grill. Oh. Not one. And suddenly, my cousin pulls up on his fucking beautiful Indian motorcycle. And I was like, oh, my God. This is the guy. He's an executive chef. He's cooking. Oh. Like, he's he's no joke. And he was coming down to say, hey, you got a restaurant. Let's see how it goes. Hey. And I was like, hey. Hey, come to work. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. He's like, hold on. Walks out to his bike. Pulls out his iPad and he's like, let's watch this instructional video that I made. Shut the front door. You're kidding me. Like, he could not have come in a better time. And, like, I had a lot of support from the local um, cafe here, the uh-huh. cafe They also own the opera house that sits above it. So I would go. You have an opera house above you? Uh, they do. They, oh, the, oh, okay. The historic opera house, they restored it and they put a cafe in the basement, in the ground level. It's one of those second level opera houses. And I went over there and taught him a few things about audio and uh, uh, how not to make the room sound so hot and terrible because uh-huh. it's literally a box. And uh, they taught me how to clean out a fryer and how to do other things that I, I didn't know. So yeah, we, we did a lot of stuff together and, and it was really nice to have their support. And, even the other drive-in in town, the, the owners of the old drive-in in town came over and helped me out. And they helped me get the ice cream machine that weighed more than a Studebaker out. <laughs> it was literally three-phase, no breakers, no nothing, hot to the building. I was like, how is this legal? How did this ever How did no one die here? I don't understand how this worked. But, yeah, like, there was a lot of help. But at one point... I was trying to pull the old tiles off the floor and I called my cousin and I said, listen, I know we're going to pour a new floor in here. Do I really need to get all of this tile up? And he was like, I don't know. Yeah. No, we'll just bury that. And I was like, done. <laughs> That's it. this, this project's done. I'm going to have to do it all. Four into the concrete, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm getting better at it every day. There are some. I mean, you've been doing it for three years now, right? Uh, three, I'd say three seasons because this is the first season that we've been open all year. So last year we closed in October so I could go out on cats. The mm-hmm. previous year we were only open from July till November, and November was horrible. Like I took like a $4,500 loss in labor in November, and it was really rough. Um, so every restaurant is supposed to like get through the first three years of existence before you can say it's going to work. I don't consider this to have been in business for three years because we haven't been in business for 36 months, but okay. it's third season and our, you know, our Facebook following is very indicative of what, what we have as a customer base. Cause down here, Facebook is one of the biggest marketing tools that we mm-hmm. have. Everybody looks at Facebook. They don't necessarily do Instagram and they don't necessarily do Snapchat. So mm-hmm. uh, that's why I keep forgetting that I have an Instagram account because I'm so busy putting the Facebook stuff up. Um, but we, our Google 
ratings and our Facebook ratings are amazing. And there's more and more people who I see come all the way from Springfield just to get our food. And it, that's really cool. Like they, they make my day when they show up. I'm like, Oh my God, you guys are here. Like, yeah. We have one family that has been coming here since the 1960s and they absolutely love it. They come here every summer at least three times and they travel three hours to get here. Three hours. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause they, they have some story about, the dairy isle, because it's spelled I-S-L-E. <laughs> she always called it the dairy isle. And the dairy isle. They actually showed up before I had any equipment in here, um, when I had just finished the drywall. And they showed up and they were like, tell me the story and all this. And then, then as soon as I got open, they came back. And they've been back every season at least once. They they come down for the Memorial Day visits, because when uh -huh. we Decoration day is a big thing here. And uh, so they, they make at least one trip a summer to come see me. And that's really great. It's a family of like nine people. But my um, my locals are what my bread and butter. You know, I've got families who come here and, and they come here twice a day sometimes, some of them. Um, some of them come here just to get a soda at least once a day. I've got a family that has nine people in their family. They come here and order wow. once a week, you know. That's who I'm here for. I'm here for that community. I'm here to provide them with something other than burgers and fries. And and I know that sounds crazy because my main menu item is burgers and fries. But that's not what those guys get. Those guys get the meal of the week. They get mm -hmm. the salad of the week. They get the specialty items. They Half of them have their own burger that they've designed. Like everybody has a burger that they want <laughs> You know, and, and you you can hear my cooks groan when I'm like, I need a double hurt burger. <laughs> and then I'll be like, I need an angry dispatcher. And they're like, oh, man, I don't have any sauce made. I don't care. Make it up. You know, and there's, these are all burgers and sandwiches that we've made for different people in town as their request. And we have a pizza burger. Um, and then there's one guy who's like, can I get a Double ham and cheese? As soon as I call back a double ham and cheese, they're like, what's up, Mike? You know, like, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people who they're not even out of their car and their drink is sitting on the ledge for them. You know, we know what we know what they're coming for. And they love that. They love to come up. And we gossip a lot. Uh -huh. and, and I always say this is Switzerland. You know, this mm. we don't we don't gossip back. We sure do listen, though. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I literally, I, I do, I do appreciate being. <clears throat> the neutral party around here. That's a, that's look, look, that's a fucking t-shirt. Yeah. A, so we don't gossip, but we sure will listen. <laughs> yeah. Well, the expression down here is, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, come sit next to me. Uh-huh. And, and that's, that's how we really live. But uh, I'm I'm sending you a t-shirt that, that says that. That says we we don't gossip, but we will listen. We will listen. And it should be like on the back. We don't gossip. But but we'll listen. listen. There you go. That's it. That's your fucking t-shirt right there. That's your Terriel t-shirt. Everyone keeps asking me to do Terriel shirts, and I'm like, I don't. 
I've been doing t-shirts for swag for so long. I don't want to do it. I, I hate that I'm that way, but like 20 years in theater, handing out swag to stagehands. I'm like, I'm, I'm done oh. with t-shirts, people. Oh. I'm done. I, I, I don't want to do it. I want to find something really simple, like koozies or something like that, but that's all. Stagehands uniform is a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you got to earn your dairy out shirt. You're given two when you're hired. Okay. If I like you, you'd get two more. After that, <laughs> after that, you're cutting into profits. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta pay for it. <laughs> this is not you. You you found yourself a nice a nice lane, and I'm it, sure you. I'm sure you're working your ass off. I'm not. I'm not trying to make it seem like that. It's uh, it's easy. I mean, you're you're definitely busting your ass. Well, like quite literally, quite like literally, this last three weeks sent my thyroid into hyperactive and lost like I think I'm up to losing 14 pounds. So yes, I am working my ass off. Well goodness, you need to stop with the medical shit. Well no, that's just something that happens to old bitches. <laughs> it'll, it'll stop. That's it's something that happens to old bitches. Oh my God. I'll just get that back soon. It, this is the second time in my life I've had that happen and I'm like, yeah, I already talked to the doctor about this once already. She said, as long as it didn't last six months, I was like, so I'm going to ride this weight loss train as long as I can because that's go. like a zero effort opportunity here. Take pictures. <laughs> like, I'm looking good today. <laughs> I'm goiter over here, but I'm looking good today. No. You keep in touch with all your people who you used to tour with? Uh, no. The ones that matter, we all keep in touch with each other. Um, and and that sounds terrible, but if you've toured for twenty years, there's people you. I've oh no, I mean, I'm, there, there's people that you're you're closer to, and there's yeah. people you care about, and there's people you don't give a shit about. That's, that's yeah. just and, and there's what the world is. Great, I never talk to that person again. But no, all the people that matter. Um, there's some people who are dealing really well with it. There's some people who are not dealing well with it at all. Um. Some people are having nervous breakdowns. People, some people are like, you know what? It's just a job, but you know, there's so much where if you're an artist, it's all wrapped up in your identity. Yeah. Uh, your identity is wrapped up in your job. And I had a big problem with that at the beginning. Um, like this was supposed to be a summer gig and then I could go back and do the real stuff that I really enjoy doing. Well, this is no longer a summer gig. This is my life. And I live in the middle of nowhere with no spouse and no social life. And, 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 you know, and then one day I was like, stop being such a whiny bitch. Mm. Okay. So you don't get to make props. You make food every day. It's pretty much the same thing. So I took my, my artistic needs and I turned it into culinary artistic needs. Well, uh, a, lot, a lot of that skill set though, translates, it seems like, cause you yeah. gotta, I mean, especially when you're dealing with like equipment and stuff like that, but you know, you gotta, you gotta plan ahead. You gotta know what you have. You gotta, you know, it's, it, it's, there, there's a procedure and a process going for it. It's not just, you know, the props wasn't just, okay, make sure the glass is over there. No, there's a bunch of other shit that goes uh, in, with it. Yeah. And that, and that translates uh, directly to what you're doing now. Well, I have to say, if I hadn't been a props master for 20 years, this job would be 80,000 times harder. I can imagine, yeah. Because I have the ability to watch the cash register, the window, the expediter, and the kitchen all at the same time. And I have the ability to time it out. And I have the ability to see what's happening. And I realize 
that my kids don't have that ability because they haven't done this for 20 years, you know, and I have, I've, I've watched eight different directions at any given time. There are times when I'll be like, you're going to do that. And I'll be all the way in the front of the kitchen or in front of the restaurant and the cook will be in the back doing something stupid. And he'll be like, how, how'd you see that? I was like, cause I know you're screwing it up. Fix it. You know? And, and that's just my, that's where it translates, but screwing up meter went off. <laughs> yeah. Like, boop. um, but no, the, the need to be an artist, the need to have an artistic outlet, Anytime in my career when I wasn't working, like the six months that I had to take off for mm-hmm. that, or this three months that I had to take off between gigs or this, that, and the other, anytime there was a lull where I wasn't creating, I would hit a really, 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 really low depression spot. Really? And so knowing that about myself, I found myself falling into that hole. I found myself becoming complacent about different things. And, well, it's just a restaurant. Nobody really cares. It's just, mm. you know. And and then I was like, okay, you have to stop that. You, you can't do that to yourself. You can't, you can't belittle what you have been given. Because 90% of the people that you know don't have shit to do right now. Yeah. And you do, you have a distraction. Okay. Maybe it's not making nearly as much money as you wanted to. Maybe it's not running as smoothly as you want it to be running. Maybe, you know, your kids are failing you and your heart is broken because they decided that drugs were more important than their lives. You can't forget that you have this. And as soon as COVID hit, and we got laid off. I was like, bye, I'm going back to the restaurant. And I never skipped a beat. I took six weeks to revamp the restaurant, redo the water wall, pour a new concrete floor. And I used all of the stimulus money to do it. And I never thought twice about it, you know? And it wasn't until we got to like the six month mark when I realized all of my friends are homeless. Uh living in their mom's basements, don't have any idea when they're going to get to go back to work. And I don't really have much to complain about, you know? Yeah. That, that's really selfish of me. And that's when I decided that even when we do go back to work, I'm not going to be the first in line to go back to work. There are other people who need that job way more than I do. There are other people who depend on that way more than I do. And I'll be there to help them if they want me to. But I was going to retire from that road job stuff at 45 anyway. So what's the point? It will be 44 probably by the time we get there. What's the point of me trying to fight for one of those jobs? Let someone else have it. I've got this. That's a great way to be. Yeah. And and a lot of people are like, you deserve that. You worked for that. And I'm like, yeah, and I had it. I had it. I did it. It's done. It's okay. I felt really old the last time. <laughs> well, you've also found something else too. I mean, yeah. you you found something else, and you can now you can now look at that world from a distance. Yeah, 
you got a little distance to it, you know. And you started feeling, you know, sorry for yourself a little bit, and you smacked yourself around and realized you had something. The yeah. shirt I'm making for John Herbert is what when he said, uh, "Sometimes you got to bitch slap your inner critic." <laughs> oh, John Herbert! <laughs> there was one of the genies that reminded me so much of John Herbert, and I wanted to smack that kid every day. Do you want to smack John Herbert? Jesus Christ! No, no, the kid who didn't live up to being John Herbert. But he looked like him, and he, he had the the same childlike wonder that John Herbert had. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, and I was just like, "You're not John." Yeah. I, I felt that when I talked to him, it was like I was I was like looking at him. It was like, and then when he spoke, I was like, "Oh, you are the real John Herbert." All those other fucking phonies are just. Yeah. Just, I, I miss I miss that level of theater, um, those people that we created with at yeah. the level, don't exist in my professional world. No, no. Well, I with one exception. I did one show with absolute amazing professionals, and it was a straight play. It was called Blythe Spirit, and. Okay. It was the West End production of Blythe Spirit. And so I got to work with Charles Edwards. I got to work with Simon Jones. I got to work with Angela Lansbury. And so like that, and Jemima Roper, all these people who are real theater people, mm -hmm. as opposed to Broadway dancers who sing. Um, and I know this sounds terrible, but what we did at university level was not Broadway dancers who sing. We did performers who every yeah. while had to sing a musical. Right. You know, yeah, they were performing. Every time we did something with the music department, you always knew the difference. Yeah, like it was, it wasn't what we did. It wasn't yeah. what we learned from the Burgoynes. And yeah, uh, um, why can't I think of his name? Who Burgoyne, Durham, uh, uh, Clyde Ruffin, Jim Miller. Yeah, well, Jim, Jim, and I, we have a very special relationship, Jim. Oh. <laughs> Please tell me, is this another bar talk or we got to? No, no, no. Jim, I could never lie to Jim because I can't lie. And Jim really needed people to lie to him to Ooh. placate him sometimes, you know, but like, oh, Jim, I love you. I love you. I love you. And Jim knew that I wasn't going to lie to him. So one day he asked me, he said, Clista, do you know this Guffman? character and i was like oh my god no jim no 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 jim no don't ask me this please don't ask me this and he says is that me <laughs> and i said well jim there are a lot of similarities there buddy I said, have you seen the movie and he's like yeah i don't think that's me uh, like, okay all right <laughs> walking down the hallway well that was my senior year and then i came back i came back two different years to mentor in between uh, touring gigs okay back. one season i came back as the props master and another season i came back as the shop supervisor so dean didn't have to do every changeover and uh jim sees me in the hallway and he says Oh, Clista, I didn't know you were coming back this year. If I'd known that, I would have asked you to be my stage manager. And I looked him dead in the face and went, 
Jim, don't lie to me. <laughs> and like, that's what Jim and I have. Like, Jim, we both know that you and I don't get along because I'm not submissive enough to get along with you. So, I mean, I'm not. I just never have been. And he likes to be in charge and be on top of the, the, the chain. And I'm like, well, I never knew somebody who would require submission, though. I don't. I, I never worked with him that close. So I, I. As a stage manager, absolutely, I'd better keep my mouth shut and do what I'm told. And oh, okay. Well, but I would never be able to be like, "Oh, sure, Jim, let me get that for you." Like, that's that's funny. Okay, because I remember I I did. No, 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 no. He wasn't. He wasn't the director. He was the costume designer in a show. Never mind. Never mind. He was he was designer in a show that I was stage managing, and I remember we did a meeting and I gave everybody lollipops. And he said, why did you give everybody lollipops? And I said, because I really need you guys to shut up when I'm fucking talking. And these lollipops will get you to just shut up for a minute. <laughs> he said, that's a great idea. I like that idea. Yeah, that's pretty much that's how he said it. He said, well, I like that idea. But I, ne I never I never envisioned him as somebody who, who kind of like everybody should bow down, but I never worked in, with him in that capacity. Well, did you ever take his costume design class? Yeah, failed horribly. Okay, well, I didn't fail horribly, but I did create some ruffled feathers in that class because <clears throat> I refused to draw the faces. I, would I, draw I, was, I was that same way. I drew the oval and I drew the crossbar I refused to work as hard on faces as he wanted us to work on faces. I said, this is a costume design class, isn't it? Right, yeah, what the fuck, who cares what the fuck this person looks like? This is not a script analysis class and I'm not the director, I'm the costume designer. I'm not designing the makeup and I'm not designing the hair. I'm designing the costume. I said, I'll design the hair if you want me to, but I'm not designing the face. The face comes along with the actor. And he knew that I wasn't wrong. And that's why he got so mad. So every time uh, we would present our drawings, he'd go, here comes some of Cliss's faceless people again. <laughs> I'm not shitting you. Every time I would come across some really famous designer who had no face on their design, I'd throw it over to Jim. Be like, you want to hey, face this? Drawings? Yeah. No. It's awesome. Painters, Jim. Some of us are stage managers, and I'm having to take this class because it's a required credit. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta ask him to do this. I gotta ask him to do this podcast. Oh God, I love talking. To, I want to do. I want to ask him, and I want to ask um, Weldon Durham to do it too. Yeah, Weldon. Weldon is an interesting character now that he's retired and all over the world. He, he wrote these books, and I read one of them. And it's like, oh my God, everybody's dead. <laughs> I'm like, you like somebody like like born a fucking killer. And I'm like, dude, are you like, what kind no. of guy are you? Like, twist thoughts you got in your head. I thought some nice freaking theater teacher who always wore khakis. I thought you guys were freaking middle of the road and just waiting for some apple pie to be made. No, you guys got some fucking deranged thoughts. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like I haven't read his um, slasher thrillers but it seemed like as soon as he retired he was ready to live a new life and uh, yeah. it was really happy for him um suzanne did the same thing you know she was like ah good i'm not tied down to that anymore i want to do this and hers went a little bit more uh philanthropic i guess but 
Um, yeah, I, I love that all of our teachers, save two, got to get out of there before the tenure cuts and the, the budget cuts. And yeah, all. it's sad to see what happened to a couple of them. It just, oh, just when I heard about that, it was like, wow, that sounds so fucking cold. It, it was so ugly. I was actually in contact with both of them on a regular basis when that happened. And, uh, yeah, it was not cool. It was very bad. I think it happened to them again, too. Mm -hmm. I think they were, I think one of them got a job at the, at the woman's college. Yeah. Uh, and then the same, the same thing happened again. And, and um, unfortunately she was employed like three days later, you know, okay. she has another job with another school district and, and she's versatile and everything. And the thing is though, it's like you want everyone to be able to do what they want to do especially when those everyone is someone who taught you everything, you know, you know, you're like, why, why shouldn't she be allowed to influence another kid? She, both of them taught me so much outside of the classroom that it's just invaluable. You know, he taught me politically how to deal with things because oh, really? I'm real bad at it real bad at it. Um, I mean, you remember Henry, the shop foreman, I threw a hammer at him. Oh! <laughs> Told him to go fuck himself. And that was how I ended my first season at the shop. But Oh, my God. Yeah. But I got my job back because I stood up for myself. Uh -huh. Maybe I didn't do it in the best way possible. Yeah, he kind of went, went a little overboard with the hammer. <laughs> I didn't throw it at him. <laughs> in his general direction. He he was one of those classic, he was one of those classic guys. He was one of those classic curmudgeons mm -hmm. that if you just let him know I'm not gonna take your shit, I'll do what you say and I'll you 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 are the smartest guy in here. But uh, you know, when it comes to like the berating and stuff, no, I'm not gonna take I'm not gonna take your shit. So, you know, once we once we know that, then we can continue. In hindsight, he's a union stagehand and he's treating me like an apprentice. Like an apprentice. But I'm not an apprentice at a university that I'm spending this much money on. Yeah. If I were an apprentice, I would be okay with this treatment. But you'd have a job afterwards. He'd asked me to do something that I didn't know how to do. And I did what he told me to. He told me to drive these nails into this board. All the way down this 16 foot, we're going we're gonna to straighten that board, drive the nails into the board. Well, he didn't hand me double-headed nails. And he didn't tell me not to drive them all the way in. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was driving them into the boards, which he told me to do. And I got about eight feet down this 16 foot board. And he goes, what in the hell are you doing, you stupid ass? You're not supposed to be doing it that way. You fucked it up. And I took that hammer, and this was about the last time. This was not the first time that he and I had gotten into oh, it. Oh, not the first hammer? This, this was not the first argument. This was the first hammer, but this was not the first argument. <laughs> I took that hammer, and I threw it onto that platform, and I said, you can go fuck yourself. I'm not paying this much money to learn how to push a fucking broom. And I walked out, and I never came back. And the next semester, I came back to Dean, and I was like, hey, you know, I really enjoyed that 10 hours a week working in the scene shop. Uh -huh. and, and I really enjoyed the money that came along with it. I said, but 
you know, Henry and I had a pretty bad last encounter. Yes. Well, I broke your hammer. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, well, he didn't handle it very well. And you didn't respond very well. But I think that you've seen the error of your ways. (laughs) And I was like, you're right, I have. And he's like, so we probably won't have that incident again. And it's his last year. So I'm sure it'll be better. And I'll tell you what, it was. From that point forward, that man never questioned me. He always spoke to me with respect. He he was a different guy. I remember his last year there. He was a totally different person. Like I think he like saw the like a rainbow or something. Yeah. Like he's going he's going to the rainbow and uh, none of that other you know whatever he was holding on to or whatever that you know bothered him. He was just such a different person that uh, I just remember that last year. I think that was was that my last year. I can't remember if it was my last year. Maybe. Never got to have Dan. Hmm. You never had Dan Springer. I never had Dan. No. Yeah, so that was your last year. Uh, Dan was amazing. Dan, Dan, Dan was it's like the polar opposite of Henry. Like, oh yeah, Dan is Dan was my mentor. Okay. Um, in so many ways, uh, Dan taught me the most valuable skill set I ever held on to, and that is never take work home with you. Mm. Always leave work at work. And he didn't mean to teach me that. He didn't set out to teach me that, but he taught me that in his actions. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there's a lot of times I hear Dan's Here's voice. voice in my head. And he says things like, well, yes, but that wouldn't be the cowboy way now, would it? You know, <laughs> when Pat Atkinson and comes at you with a design that's the same design that he gave you last year, except it's an, eighth of an inch wider, you know, like, and you're like, why couldn't we just do it this way? Well, that wouldn't be the cowboy way, you know, and pull out stock for this last one. That you did. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's great that I have those bases and now I've been able to mentor young touring professionals on my side of it to get back to that. And now, now I'm mentoring the high school students to get them ready to go to university or, or not, you know, not everybody here is going to go to university, um, get them ready to go out into the real world and, and not be complete fuck ups. It, it's an interesting batch of, uh, of, of, uh, well, the way, the way you look at it, because you don't just look at it as, as like you're working in a scene shop or that you're a props master. You, you, you consider yourself an artist mm-hmm. and a lot of, and, and, it took me a long time to understand, and sometimes I will, and sometimes I still don't understand what that is. Like, 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 what is what is? I mean, you consider yourself an artist. I know uh, Dean considered himself an artist, and t- to the point where they understood how they impacted a particular performance. So it was it wasn't just doing the nuts and bolts. It wasn't just you know. Sometimes we we tend to look at people behind the scenes, and they're just the carpenters that just make sure the shit right. goes up. But, you know, you do think of, hey, in this scene, they say blah, 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 blah. So that means this has to be here and that has to be there. And that can't be but this big and that can't be but too small and all that stuff like that. You, you have to know that you don't just have to just do the work, but you also have to know the know the production that you're doing. Yeah. Well, 
Okay, so when I worked for Blue Man Group, in as much as Blue Man Group is an interesting show and a really great famous brand and everything, it was definitely a lot like working for a cult. Oh. And uh, the reason I say that is because there were interesting hiring practices, there were interesting interview practices. And one of the things that happened was if we were hiring a new head of department, every head of department had the right to interview that person. And every person had the right to have input on whether or not that person was hired. And so we would do these hirings and we would do these interviews because there was a lot of turnover in the few years that I was there. Um, And at the end of every interview process, we would get to ask a question. And I had come up with this question years before, but it wasn't until I was here at this stage of a hiring manager that it really got used this often. Mm-hmm. And I would always ask the person who's being interviewed, do you consider yourself an artist, a stagehand, or a technician? And there's, okay. there's no wrong answer. But however they answer that question gives you a whole lot of insight as to how they're going to approach the job that you need them to approach. <laughs> if I'm hiring someone in the props department to stuff bananas into a tube and to make sure that the paint drums are clean and to make sure that the the food props are properly handled, I, I don't necessarily need an artist to do that. I need a technician to do that. Um, but if I need someone who can go out on an outside gig and figure out how to rig this thing that, that we didn't bring the rigging for, then I need a stagehand. But if I need someone to sit in a meeting with designers and say, well, I feel like it needs to be, then I need an artist. But in order to do some of the jobs at that particular show, you had to be all of those things. And I actually consider myself two of those things. I am not a technician. I'm an artist and I'm a stagehand. I can get things in and out of buildings. I can rig them in crazy ways. I can pack trucks and I can do all that. And I can create it from scratch if I need to. But when it comes to programming things and making sure electrics are working and running and figuring out what that buzz is, and the, I don't give a shit about any of that. That's for the sound guys. That's for the electricians. That's for those people who do that kind of thing. That's not what I do. I always said to my carpenters, you make it work, I'll make it pretty. You know, that's, that's what I do. But it's important to know that that is your skill set because it takes all of those skill sets to make a show work. And, and it does and need that everywhere in life. It, I have to have a person who can work the grill in this kitchen. I have to have a person who can sell sandwiches in this kitchen. And I have to have someone who can sell it at the window. And if I don't have those three factors, then I'm not going to sell the food. So if I've got a weak link in any of those, my product's not going out the door the way I want it to. And that's the correlation between theater and restaurant work is that everyone has a role. Everyone has a job. If you were to hear me at that window, I am a character out of Vessel Whorehouse in Texas. I mean, to tell you, <laughs> Dotsy May works that damn window every day. And she's like, hey, sugar, how are you doing today? What am I getting for you? Oh, well, did you ever look at, like, I was actually on the phone with my, one of my friends one day, and I was like, hey, hold on a second. I got to take an order. You ready for this? And I put the phone down. 
And I took the order. And I came back and he goes, the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I am sitting in the middle of the Bible Belt. I have to sell Southern Charm. I am selling nostalgia out this window. Don't think I'm going to be like, what y'all want today? You know, that's not going to sell it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are places where my Shanae character can come into play, but it is not at that window. She needs to be the most adorable, sassy bitch you've ever met. Uh-huh. And that's who they love. I've got an entire construction team who's uh, changing out all the electrical poles between our town and the next town. And they come here every day for lunch. Now, those guys have figured out that I can bust their balls better than they can. Mm. And there's not a lot of women around here who are good at busting balls. But when it first started, I was sugar sweet. Sure, sugar sweet. Just like, how are you guys doing today? What can I get for you? Is there anything else I can get for you today? You sure you don't want a large sweet tea with that? You know, all the things. Then they found out my food was good. And once you, once they find out the food is good, nothing else really matters. That That's the reality. Uh-huh. And they come back every day. Now, today I'm closed, but they're still working 20 yards out my back door. Like, I can hear their Motorola beep, you know. And I'm hearing from back at, while I'm in here cleaning and cooking, I'm hearing Charlie. Sure would like a double cheeseburger today. He's going to have to wait till tomorrow, Charlie. I don't know why you're in there. I sure would like a double cheeseburger today. And they busted my balls all day long until they pulled out of the driveway today. And as they're pulling out of the driveway, I'm setting up the computer and everything. And they're like, double cheeseburger. <laughs> See you tomorrow. You know. So yeah, I put on I put on a character. I put on different things. Whoever needs what needs, you know. I'm going out my back door to come around and give a customer a hug because they just needed it. Mm-hmm. You know, I give people what they need when they need it. But um, most of the time, that person that is at that window is like no person that any stagehand has ever worked with. Like, there are people who I've worked with for the last 20 years who wouldn't recognize me if they came up to that window. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they're like, who? who are you? What are you doing? I'm selling it. I'm selling a product. That's what I'm doing. The other day I said, someone said something like, well, you know, you did a really good job transitioning from theater to, to restaurant. I said, yeah, I'm just a pimp with a new hoe. (laughs) That's the preview. That's the preview on the fucking Instagram. And, and that's, but it's real. I'm just a pimp with a new home. And and it's it's the same thing. I'm still selling something. I'm still selling something. It's just a different sale, you know? And they're like, I was like, well, you're not from Kansas City, so you can't really understand what that means. But yeah. Oh, but, my God. Christus, thank you for so much for doing this. This has been so much fun. I'm glad you called me. Glad we got it together. I'm glad we did. We're going to do this again. All right. We're gonna do this again. I gotta figure out. Uh, but uh, I don't know. What, what are you gonna do the rest of the winter? So uh, struggle really is what I'm gonna do for the rest of the summer winter. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna close down for three days. Okay. Christmas. And here here's the reality of my situation. My customers have asked me to stay open. 
I'm going to do everything I can to stay open. Um, right before you called, I'm, I'm doing scheduling, figuring out where I can cut labor, uh, figuring out where we can, you know, there's two of us that are really good at working independently. So we're going to, we're going to get a little help for the lunch rush, yeah. we'll lunch dinner rush help. And after that, it's two of us, you know, and, and I did it that way the first season. So I don't see any reason why we can't. Um, I have to traverse this winter so that I can know if it's worth it next winter. You know what all I mean? Best to you. So, all right. All the best to you, honey. Keep plugging away. Good luck with these podcasts. I Pimp hope that you're... hoe out. Hmm? Pimp that hoe out. Pimp that hoe. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Love you, sweetheart. Take care. So I'm just going to leave studio, right? Yes, ma'am. All right. Bye, hey. Bye-bye. tell when I have a guest on that I'm really, really excited about because you will hear the beginning of the podcast start somewhere 10, 15 minutes down the road and I did it again. Started talking to Clista and uh, forgot to click record. So about the first 14 minutes of that uh, is missed. Um, we're going to get an opportunity to do this again. And so uh, it, it's a beautiful story she had uh, and it shows you how big her heart is. Thank you so much, Clista, for joining me. Best of luck to you uh, with the Dairy Owl. Folks, if you're in the uh, Greenfield, Missouri area, please stop by the Dairy Owl. Give, it a, give her a call. Uh, she's got a big heart, so uh, let's give her a chance to fill it. Anchor.fm slash John's Lonely slash support for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help me keep John's Lonely Podcast going. I will bring you some more John's Lonely Podcast if you keep on listening. And until then, I'll say peace.